Let's go ahead and uh, bow our heads for prayer as we get ready to open the word. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to come before you. We look at your, to look at your word, your, your precious word that you gave us so that we can know you. And we ask that you just guide and lead us as we look at some interesting facts one more time from the genealogy. And we just thank you for your love and care for us in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right. We are going to continue in Romans 11. And for those of you who are bored with the genealogy, this is the last week we'll be doing it. <laughs> this time around. <laughs> Did I say Romans? Yes. I'm just trying to confuse all of you. We're going to be in Genesis 11. <laughs> I didn't know I said Romans. I think I better go home and start this all day all over again. <laughs> I, may, I may be stuck on the memory verse. <laughs> Yeah, as far as I know, there's not a, gene a genealogy in Romans 11, so. <laughs> Unless they put one in there since the last time I read it. <laughs> okay, starting at verse 10. Genesis 11, verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. Shem was 100 years old, and he begat Arphaxad two years after, his, after the flood. And Shem lived after he begat uh, Arphaxad 500 years and begat sons and daughters and Arfax had lived 35 uh, 55 year excuse me, I can't even read 35 years and beget Selah and Arfax had lived after he begat Selah 403 years and begat sons and daughters and Selah lived 30 years and begat Eber and Selah lived after he begat Eber 403 years and begat sons and daughters and Eber lived 34 years and begat Peleg. And Eber lived after he begat Peleg 430 years and begat sons and daughters. And Peleg lived 30 years and begat Ru. And Peleg lived after he begat Ru 209 years and begat sons and daughters. And Ru lived two, 32 years and, and begat Serug. And Ru lived after he begat Serug 207 years and begat sons and daughters. And Sarug lived 30 years and begat Nahor. And Sarug lived after he begat Nahor 200 years and begat sons and daughters. And Nahor lived 29 years and begat Terah. And Terah lived after, and Nahor lived after he begat Terah 119 years and begat sons and daughters. And Terah lived 70 years and begat Abraham, Nahor, Nahor and Haran. And that's where we're going to stop because we go into the genealogy of Abraham after that. I just want to look at a couple things. If you, one of the things you notice in this, in this list, we start out with people who live almost as long as they did before the flood. And if you remember before the flood, these people were living to be 900 years old. And after the flood, they very quickly start drifting down in the time they live and start having much shorter lives. Uh, we're going to see that uh, Shem's going to live 600 years, Aphax 438 years, Eber... Uh, 433. Eber is going to live 469 years. Uh, so we see this is going on quite quickly. It drops down to the point where we get to the descendants of Abraham, and they're only going to live to be, you know, in their 200s. We know that Abraham lives to be 157, and he's one of the last people that have a really long life cycle. Um, and I've always wondered, have you thought about, have you really thought about how long these lives were? Now, some people, when I've done the Bible studies, have seen the chart. I'm getting ready to show you guys because I've done a lot of work on over the years on this because it fascinates me. 
maybe. I've drawn some interesting lines here because I want to point out Eber, which if you don't know, Eber is the, the father of the Hebrew nations. <laughs> okay, many times as Christians we think of the Hebrew nations going back to Abraham, but it actually goes back to Eber. Eber is the father of all the uh, Shemitic uh, tribes and, and the Hebrew people which are all the monotheistic peoples of that area. And, and we always think of the Jews as being the only monotheistic nation in that area, but that, that was not true. Monotheistic worshipers of one God. Uh, the Jews are just the primary one that comes out of that, but for many nations in those days had one, they had one God. The ones that followed in, in Ham's and, and uh, Japheth's side of things went into multi- uh, polytheism or many gods being worshipped and many of Eber's people eventually went into <laughs> polytheism so but he is the founder and I just want to point out this is his lifespan right here it starts here ends all the way out there and I want to bring that up to you because if you remember when we studied the first genealogy in the book we talked how Adam only missed being able to, to know Noah by 54 years <laughs> When we read these long lifespans, we kind of forget how long those lifespans are. And Eber is one of the righteous men after the flood. And we talked about him a little bit last week in, in opposition to Nimrod, who was leading the false religions. Eber is one of the ones that were opposite of him in righteousness, and his line is part of the righteous line that leads to Abraham, then eventually to Jesus. But I just wanted to point out, these red lines here is Abraham's birth. Abraham is born, and I want you to note that Shem is still alive when Abraham's born. <laughs> okay, Abraham would have been able to go talk to his great-great-great-grandpa <laughs> and get firsthand information about the flood. Noah's dead by this time, but Shem is still alive when Abraham is born. Wouldn't it be interesting for us if we could just go back and find somebody who lived when Jesus walked the, walked the earth and get first-hand information? If you were somebody on the righteous side of things, you know, all the way up here to Abraham, you're able to go talk to Shem, and Shem is still alive when Jacob is born. Now, he's not in the same area, but, you know, I'm just making this point. If they wanted to get first-hand information, it was not hard for these early patriarchs to go and get first-hand information. The people still lived. You know, and I, and I, to me, that's just an amazing thought. Eber, two generations after the floods, not too far from first-hand information, because he would have definitely talked to Grandpa, tell me about the flood. He lives beyond Joseph. Joseph's the top one on that list. Eber is still alive when Joseph passes away. When the children of Israel go into Egypt, into bondage, Eber is still alive. Okay, and I, I'm bringing these things out to us because most of the time we don't really think about, and I, and, I, and I told you all, I understand when you get to the genealogies, most of you don't find them interesting. You read them like I did as a teenager and in my 20s. And so-and-so begat, so, you know, so-and-so dropped down to the bottom of the page. Okay, we're now, we're now on to the next thing. I understand, but I also want to get you the love for the information that's in these genealogies. These genealogies tell us that these people 
could get the information. It's wonderful for us when we can go back and talk to somebody who is part of some activity. You know, we think about somebody like Dr. Martin Luther King, Dr. King, <laughs> Martin Luther King, I think. Uh, you know, and people used to love being able to go to him and say, tell us about how this all started. They still go to his family, tell us about all the activities that you had to endure. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the, in our church age, the disciples and the early church fathers had lived <laughs> eight or 900 years so we could be able to go and say, hey, but you know, the good news is that they wrote us all these words in the book, that God gave us his words. And I just wanted to bring this out. You know, these people lived long. They, they, they existed for a long period of time and their history. You know, one of the things I've, I've heard around here is that people wish that they had talked to Joyce Mayberry more and recorded her, her stories about the, this church and stuff because she was the one that had been here for so long. How often do we do this? We, we meet people that are older that have the stories of the history of things. Here we see these people living a long time. And Abraham's able to be able to go and talk to Eber. He's able to go and talk to Shem. God chose Abraham by grace, we're told. But I also believe that he probably was trying to live a righteous life in the first place. In a day and age when it was hard to live a righteous life. Because we've talked about Nimrod and the separating of the languages and the moving out of the people. Because it was starting to divide. The godly line and the ungodly line were dividing. And we see this. And the Bible traces the godly line through Abraham, through all the descendants, all the way to, to David, all the way to Jesus. We have the royal line that's following God. Following God. And you know, it's interesting that and sometimes we see it even in the various families out there. Have you ever met a family that has righteous people in the majority of their line? Because they have been trained up. Their parents trained them, and then they trained their kids, and they trained their, their kids, and they trained their kids. There are certain families out there that can trace pastors and missionaries through many generations of their, of their family because it became so important to their family to do so. The thing that amazes me at times, I used to go to a church where everybody was a, a uh, had this idea of you needed to be a pastor or a missionary if you know that was the the goal and probably 30 or 40 percent of the people actually became pastors or missionaries then i go to some churches where you know, everybody wants to see pastors and missionaries raised up as long as it's not their kid <laughs> god don't call my kid to the missions but call all the other kids that to me is a very sad statement we laugh and chuckle about it but you know it's kind of a very sad thing to think about God, call anybody but my kid, call anybody but my family. Do we think it's important or not? The greatest blessing I can think of is for any of my kids to get into the ministry or go into, into missions work because that's eternal. You know, the idea of making a lot of money is, is fantastic and fine as long as you're going to use it to support God and his work. But just to have, you know, I want my kid to be a doctor or a lawyer, you make lots of money. Okay, and then what? They make lots of money, and then what? We need to be looking at the eternity, the eternal glory that we have. How many of us focus on our daily walk and say, I want something that has eternal value? I want to do something that's of greater value than, than for the kingdom. We should be all about the kingdom of God. 
This is something we need to spend time with. Get into his word. Get a love for people. Share the gospel. Walk a lifestyle that builds up Christ. And we've been talking a lot about this because it's been heavy on my heart. How many times do we live a lifestyle that brings shame to the name of Christ? And when I say that, it really is bad because it not only just brings shame to his name, but then people use it as an excuse not to come to God. It's, it's been said in jest, but it is very true. Many people don't become Christians because they know a Christian. And by that, they're meaning they know somebody who's, who's bigoted and opinionated and, and criticizing them and has no love for them. Have you ever talked to somebody that says, well, you know, what about so-and-so? <laughs> and they'll point to somebody that you know joint, jointly that claims to be a Christian but doesn't live like a Christian. We've all come across those people. If you've opened your mouth to talk to anybody about Christ, you've had that been thrown in your face more than once. Well, so-and-so claims to be a Christian. It might even be somebody famous. So-and-so claims to be a Christian, and look at the way they live. They're no different than we are. This is critical for us as Christians. Do good works get us to heaven? Absolutely not. But it does give us a testimony in front of the world that says, God has changed me. I am no longer like the world like I was. I am a person walking with Christ. I am a person that has changed life. I don't speak the same way I used to. I don't do the same things that I used to do. I don't enjoy the things I used to enjoy. This is growing in Christ. I no longer speak in the cruel, angry way that I spoke because God is teaching me to love people. And this should be true of each one of us. We should become more loving in our speech, more accepting in our speech, more caring in our speech. What do we do toward people? You know, many times we see people who have no love for others and their actions show it. They show that they don't have love for the people. Now, it's true that actions speak louder than words. You may have a very cruel, harsh language, but be able to show love, and that probably will mean more to people than have the right words and don't show love in their action, but we really need to be doing both. How did the disciples get such a good start? You know, it's an amazing thing. The disciples walked with Jesus for four years. What happens when you hang out with somebody for a long period of time, morning to night, or 24-7? You're going to become like that person. And we see that even in our world, you will become like the people you hang out with. And this is an important consideration. Who do we spend most of our time with? Am I out there hanging around with people who have foul language and, and, and anti-God points of view? If I am, I will be infected by their point of view. Very rare does it work the other way around. Good very rarely influences the evil it happens. The disciples did it to the entire Roman Empire. They preached Christ and the Roman Empire changed. But that was a work of God. That wasn't what normally happens. If you're going to hang out with evil people, you are probably going to become like them. Which is why we as Christians, we need to be out with the world to, to, to share the gospel and preach the gospel. But the people we hang out with most of the time need to be Christians. Not because we want to be separated and all of that, but we need the strength of other Christians. That's why we come to church. Hebrews says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves and so much more as you see the day approaching. Why? 
Not because coming through these doors makes you anything special. Somebody can come through these doors every time the doors are opened and not become a Christian even. Just coming to the doors does not do any good. But we get with each other and we share with one another. We talk with one another. We take the strength of one another. We get encouraged by one another. We teach one another. Then we go out to the world and share what we've learned. We share the strength that we have. We sang nothing but the blood. Are you washed in the blood? The only way to become a Christian is to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. He paid the debt. That's what makes us a Christian, but we need each other. Church, in the Greek is ecclesia, which means the gathering together of like-minded people. That's all that word meant. In, in the Roman days, they would call for an ecclesia when they wanted the town called to meet. They weren't calling for a church, but they were talking to gather all the townspeople together so we can make decisions for the town. In the church, we've taken it to another level. The ecclesia, the church, the fellowship of believers, where we all have the same general thoughts. Are we all going to agree on every single point out there? Absolutely not. I shared that with you. I've been in every church that I've been in, and I've liked the pastors, and I've enjoyed the churches I've been into, but if I agreed with everything that the pastors have taught, no. Do I expect everybody in this church to, to agree with everything that I teach? No. Now, if we talk about the Bible, this is God's word. It is absolutely true. <laughs> if it's not absolutely true, we better throw it away because we're gambling our, our entire eternity on it. And we cannot sit there and pick and choose what's true and what's not true. Because either it is true, all of it, or it's a totally worthless book. I've been studying it for over 44 years, and I think that's an absolutely true book, and I've never found any errors in it. I'm going to put in all of my life and my eternity on that book. The other thing is that Jesus Christ is the one and only Son of God. Not a Son of God like the cults like to go, or not even God in many of the cults. He's not a, a God of many gods. He is the only Son of God, and He is God. And when we get into the Trinity, I understand that's something that's hard to teach. And every time I teach the Trinity, I'll tell you one thing about it. We can give you all the verses on the Trinity. We can show you that it's absolutely true, and you won't understand it any better when we get done. Okay? It's one of those things you have to take by faith. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three different entities, and they are one. Now, how that's true, I don't know. I've heard all the examples, but I read in the Bible, they are. Okay, and when we taught the Trinity last time, we gave you that little handout with all the, all the verses on it to say they're all the one, and, and all of them are the creator, all of them are the, are the God, all of them are the savior, all of them are the deliverer, all, you know, everything that's attributed to one is attributed to all three. But they're not, and yet they're all different, and we see that in, in the baptism of Jesus when John pulled him out of the water and this voice in heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus was being baptized, and the Holy Spirit came down upon him as a, as a dove. So we saw all three in one, in one time. The very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God, is the word Elohim, which is a plural word for a single God. It's a very interesting word in Hebrew. So we know that that's a true statement. But the only way, so we know that Jesus is God. We know that he died on the cross for our sins and that he rose again from the dead. And the evidence of his resurrection is very strong. And we've covered that on many occasions. So other than those few points, though, 
I really don't care what you want to be, believe or not believe because we'll find out in heaven that I'm right. Now, <laughs> that some of us are right. <laughs> we'll find out who's right when we get to heaven. <laughs> but of course, I believe what I believe from lots of study and I will teach what I believe. If it's very controversial, and you've heard me even last couple of weeks, I tell you what other people say about something. I don't spend a lot of time on what they say because I don't believe what they say. So I tell you what they say, and I teach you what, why I believe what I believe. And if you want to believe something else on a non-core belief, that's your choice. But we need to be able to come together as a church and fellowship about what is absolutely true. Jesus Christ, our Savior, who makes us one. We are one. We spend a lot of time in these verses because this is important for us to understand that we all come from the same family. Every single person who's alive, dead, alive, or will be born is part of our family. Because we all come from Adam and Eve, and we all come through Noah. So we have two descendants that we know from, from long back. Beyond that, we have all kinds of different branches, but there's no difference in people. Paul in Romans says that we're all of one blood. And he was literally speaking of that joint kinship from the earliest family. This is why as Christians, we should not have any prejudice in our life because there's no need for prejudice because we're all part of the same family. Whether it's race or nationality or any other thing that you might have a prejudice against, it's irrelevant because we are all part of the same family. And we need to get over these things as Christians and say, we're going to live the way God wants us to do. We're going to show love to people. We're going to show love to one another. We're going to show love to all, all people. And this is something that I want to just keep in, in our minds. As a church, God has built us together as a family. And this is just the chloride branch of the body of Christ. There's other, other churches out there that are preaching Christ and his word. And I have no problem with them. They're fine. God has called me to one church. He'll, and he'll call you to a church. And it's very important to be called to a church. The last thing you want to do is be hopping around churches all the time. And we got lots of people who hop around churches. The first time the pastor steps on their toes, they decide, oh, don't like that pastor anymore. That church is going to the dogs. He stepped on my toes. And they go someplace else. And, you know, I've been around long enough. I've watched people do it. They usually last in the church about three years. And then something happens. The message is said that crosses their particular sin that they need to be hearing and, and deal with. And they go, nope, can't do that. Going to go someplace else. We need to be dedicated to where God calls us. Does that mean God's never going to move you someplace else? No, that's not true either. But make sure it's God calling you to go someplace else, not just because somebody said something that you didn't agree with. Because iron sharpens iron. And I can tell you right now, the longer you stay in one place with one group of church, the more people are going to start irritating you and you know, rub, the, rub the sharp edges, uh, hard edges off of you. But that's growth. That's part of growth. We need to have the rough edges knocked off of our personality and off our spiritual life. We need to be growing. And this is something I've shared many times. If you're not spiritually further along today than you were last year or the year before or the year before that, you need to look and say, am I really in Christ? Am I growing in Christ? Am I more in love with his word? Am I more in love with his people? Am I more in love with God? Have I gotten rid of sin in my some sins in my life? And we've said this before, you're not going to get rid of all your sin. 
Don't look at a perfection as being your standard because then you're going to get depressed. Look at what God has taken out of your life. There's lots of things that he's going to take out of our life. And it's a slow process. Sometimes it's quick. <laughs> Usually it's slow. In my life, it's almost always been slow. Because <laughs> uh, I've been telling you, I'm, I, w- I, I was very stubborn. <laughs> I didn't like to respond to God at first. I'm getting better over, as I'm getting older. I'm getting res- to where I responded better to God. But we need to look at our life and say, how am I growing? God, how are you changing my life? If you're not growing spiritually, you need to come to God then and say, God, do I truly know you? Do I truly know you? Because in Matthew, we read just last uh, Thursday night, where Jesus said, many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And they give all this long list of good spiritual, godly things. And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. I was never acquainted with you. Do we know Jesus that way? Do we know him intimately? Is he somebody that really is special in our life? Or is he just somebody, well, I know facts about Jesus. I believe he existed. I believe that Rome crucified him on a cross. Maybe I even believe that he rose from the dead. But do I have him in my heart? Is he in my house dwelling with me? And we all know what this means. We all have people who are acquaintances that we would not have in your house for, for a week or a month or the rest of your life. You know, you know them. They're acquaintances. They're, they may even be friends. You can have them for dinner as long as they go home that night. Uh, you know, maybe you don't even want them in your house for dinner, but you know, you know what I'm saying. You might even let them stay overnight, but they, they would very quickly get tired of them and say, you know, see you later. Many people have that kind of relationship with Jesus. They know him. They think they're speaking to him at times when they pray to him. But he is not indwelling them and changing who they are. We need to know him in that, in that type of lifestyle. Where we have an intimate knowledge that he is our friend. When you have him as your friend, you will know that he is your friend. You will know that he is your savior. I can't tell you in, in the 44 years how many times I've met, come across somebody in their 70s or 80s that all, real, all of a sudden realize they didn't know Jesus. Years in the church. And all of a sudden realize they just had a bunch of knowledge. You don't want to die just having a knowledge of Christ. You want to have an intimate relationship with him where he is your Lord. He is your Lord. That means master. <laughs> the one who has the right to tell you what to do. The one who says, when I don't want to do something, he says, do it anyway. I've been there many times where I know that what he wants me to do and I have to do it, whether I want to or not. Getting rid of sin in my life because he wants it out of my life, so to be an example. But you know, when he wants something done, he gives you the strength to do it. He crucifies that area of your life if you will just let him do it and takes it away. Do you know how easy it is to follow Christ? If you really know him, you know how easy it is. You just surrender to him and he changes who you are. He changes what he wants to change and it's really easy. You're not sitting there struggling to change things because he does the work. You're not struggling to witness to people because he does the work. All you have to do is open your mouth. I hope you've been there where you've shared Christ and found out how easy that is. All of us, to some degree or another, have issues with approaching people to share Christ. It's scary at first. 
But you know, the fun thing is, is once you open your mouth, he starts filling it with words. I've seen this over and over when I talk to people. And I've heard other people share this with me. You just start speaking, and all of a sudden, you start kind of listening to yourself speak, and it's not you anymore, because the Holy Spirit is speaking. We need to get that way with him. We need to know him. We need to spend time with him. We need to get into his word. We need to make sure he is our Lord and Master and our Savior, not just somebody we're acquainted with. I, I, I think I know him because I've read about him. If we want to go that way, we all kind of know George Washington. None of us have met him. We know he existed. We have speeches from him. We have paintings of him. We don't have pictures of him. We have paintings of him. But none of us know George Washington. But that's the relationship a lot of people have with Jesus. They've heard about him. They've read some stories about him. But they don't know him personally. We need to make sure that we know him personally. Because that's the only thing that's going to give us an eternity with him. John 17 tells us, this is eternal life, to know him whom God sent. And that literally is to know him. Know him, not just know about him. We're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We ask that you go with us. Lord, if there is anybody here that doesn't know you or listening on the, on the Internet that doesn't know you, we ask that they decide to know you today. And then all they do is say a prayer like, Lord, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. Come into my life and may be my Lord and Savior. And then help them to find another church, to find a church to help them to grow. And we just thank you for your love and care that you died for us so that we could enter into heaven and spend eternity in your presence. In your son's name, amen.